Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. His name is Joshua Bell. Several years ago, he stood in the Metro DC uh, subway. He got in a corner, as you saw. He pulled out a violin with a value of three and a half million dollars, a Stradivarius. And he played for a total of 45 minutes, six songs, Bach. And as he played, there were a total of six people who stood and gave him some time and listened. There were 20 people who put money into his violin case, totaling $32 for his 45 minutes of music. And at the end, you saw there was one woman who said, only in D.C., because she recognized who he was. Joshua Bell happens to be the world's greatest, or one of the world's greatest, violinists. Two nights prior, he sold out a large music hall in Boston, and the average ticket price was $100 apiece. Yet in the subway, in the corner, playing the exact same music on the exact same violin, he only managed a handful of people who would stop and pay attention. And it reminds me of how we often view Jesus. It reminds me of how we see Jesus every day in the subway. He's the same Jesus who is God in the flesh, who is God with us, Emmanuel, who is the Word become life. And this same Jesus who was there in the beginning and created the heavens and the moons and the stars and the earth, He was the same one who was before anything else was. He was the the pre-existent, eternal one, and yet we see Him eye to eye and not King of Kings. And this morning... I'm I'm wrestling out loud with the question, so Jesus is God, so what? So what that He's deity? All week I've wrestled with this question, and, 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 and frankly, the message this morning was packed full of all of the proofs and all of the evidences that Jesus, not only He Himself claimed to be God, but He demonstrated that He was God, and the Old Testament uh, foretold that he would come as God. And others in, in Hebrews and Paul and in all of Scripture surrounds him as God made flesh. And my wrestling with this is, what well, was this very question? So this morning I'm going to dump a bunch of Scripture on you and I'm going to declare to you that the Bible declares definitively that Jesus is God made flesh. And we ask the question then, so what? Because we are so uh, 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 trained to see him as a brother and as a friend. We're so trained to see him, as the shirt says, as my homie, right? We're so trained to see him eye to eye and not as the all-sufficient Savior. In just 20-something days, we're going to celebrate, okay, 30 days, we're going to celebrate Christmas. What is Christmas? Christmas is the incarnation of God. It's Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And and then we're going to celebrate just a few short months after that the, the resurrection of the crucified, died, and buried Christ. And what I want you to do this morning is to be that one woman in the subway who stops and just stands there mesmerized saying, Wow, I see you. 
I know who you are. I, I worship you. And I follow you. That's what I want for you today. That's what I want for me today. I want us to see who Jesus really is. And so I want to do that by looking at seven statements that he made. He made seven statements, and we call these the I am statements of Christ Jesus. Now, when we look at these statements, we have to realize that, that the, the normal way of using the phrase I am is to say, I am hungry, right? The structure of a sentence is that we have the I am, and then we have what I believe is called a predicate nominative, right? So it, it, yeah, English. I ain't got no use for English. So the, the, the predicate nominative basically means this. I am is the what I, is, is I guess the verb. And then it's I am this. And so the focal point of the sentence or the focal point of the phrase is this. I am is simply saying I am, but the focus is hungry, right? Now in English, we do this every day. We say I am tired, I am crazy, right? We, 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 we use this language. But in the Greek, in the New Testament, uh, the language of the New Testament, we, we see something different, something much more powerful. Something that reveals to us what Jesus is saying beyond just, I am something. Here's what I'm talking about. In John chapter 6, starting in verse uh, 30. The, the, the setup is this. Jesus is speaking to the crowd and the crowd is kind of debating with him. This is after he fed 5,000 men and then there are also women and children. So maybe 10, 15,000 people were fed on this mountainside with five loaves of bread and two fishes, right? So Jesus does this great miracle and then the people have the audacity to ask him what... Um, they, they asked him in verse 30, What sign are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Now, hold on a minute. What more do you need, right? If I were Jesus, I'd be like, Psh, come on, right? They asked him, how can we believe you? What are you going to do to prove the words that you're speaking? And then they said, uh, our fathers ate manna from the wilderness, just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus replied to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, do you see, they're talking on a level right here. He's speaking on a level right here. Remember, they're thinking of the bread. They see the bread multiply, but that's not enough to convince them that his words are true because he's speaking words that are so different than what they're used to hearing. So they say to him, what are you going to do to prove to us that what you're saying is believable? And then they opened the door beautifully. They said, now our forefathers got bread from heaven. Manna from heaven, if you remember the story, it's in the Old Testament. It's when the Israelites were freed from bondage of slavery in Egypt. And as they were wandering in the wilderness, they were hungry. They complained to Moses, and Moses complained to God. And, he, and I love the way he says, he goes, hey, Lord, these people, right? I do that sometimes too. Just, just, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm joking. Uh, okay, not really sometimes. So, 
So he, Moses goes, Lord, these people are hungry and you're expecting me to feed them. And God goes, look, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to send manna from heaven. Now, manna was a unique form. It was a God invention. It wasn't like loaves of sourdough bread, but it was basically bread in a form that came from heaven. And God says, look, I'm going to provide bread for you in the morning. I'm going to provide bread for you in the evening. And then he made very specific rules. He said, only pick up what you need for the day. Don't pick up anything extra because tomorrow whatever you picked up today is going to be rotten and full of maggots. Right? And he did this because he wanted to prove, I am the Lord your God. I will supply every need that you have. All you have to do is trust me. And so the Jews listening, the crowd knew this story. They lived this story. They repeated this story in their homes. And they were reminded of God who provided bread from heaven. And so the context of these next words of Jesus was this context. God is the provider of all that is needed. He sent the bread from heaven. And now Jesus says these words. Verse 35. I am... The bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. The first I am of Jesus. To answer the question, so what? Okay, Jesus, you're God in the flesh. So what? The first I am of Jesus gives us the first reason. Because he is the bread of life. Now again, you have to tie all this together to see the full picture. But God provided for the, for the Israelites in Egypt a couple thousand years prior to this story as a way of telling them, hey, I'm providing for you now something temporary, but I'm going to provide for you in the future something permanent. And it's not just the physical. I'm going to provide for you in the physical and the spiritual way so that you will have everything you could ever possibly need in life. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. Now, here's something really cool. The word or the phrase, I am, in this passage and in the rest of the passages we're going to read, it's written in the Greek differently. There are two words that are used for I am. The first one is ego, E-G-O, not lego my ego. That's a whole different one, right? It's ego, which means Ego, that's where we get our word ego. It's personality. It's I am. It's who I am, right? So the first word is ego. The second word is I me, E-I-M-I. And it's again, it's a word that means I am. In the construction of this passage right here, now listen, it's not an accident that it's this way. And this wasn't, this wasn't just because some author said, hey, I just want to write something strange. He was saying, by, by writing it this way, a deep theological principle. He was saying, Jesus, by saying, I am the bread of life, was connecting himself to the great I am. The one who delivered the Egyptian or the, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Literally translated, it would be, I am, I am the bread of life. Anytime you say, I am, I am the bread of life, what you're saying is, I am bad to the bone. That's what you're saying, really. But it's even better. Because in this sentence, there is no predicate nominative, right? The structure's all messed up. So you would actually read it this way. Jesus said, the bread of life, I am the I am. And what's important about that is this. 
The focus is not the bread. The focus is Jesus. He places himself square in the center of this statement. And saying that, he was saying, everything that is needed comes from me and through me as the I am who I am. Now, I need to go backwards just a little bit to remind you the power of this statement. In John chapter 8, Verse 58, Jesus said to them, I assure you before Abraham was, I am. Now he said this because the, uh, the Jews were saying to Jesus, uh, uh, basically, are you better? Or, 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 or have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old yet. Because Jesus was speaking as, as an eternal one. And they were going, look, well, wait a minute, time out. You're just a, you're just a young guy. How, how can you speak with these, with these deep, powerful words? And he said, look, before Abraham was, I am. Now to understand that, we've got to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and even 16, right? We'll go all the way back to Genesis because, or excuse me, Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, here's the story. The Israelites were in captivity under Egypt. They were, they, were, they were a slave to the Pharaoh. They were promised freedom, but they were in bondage. They cried out to God day and night, God deliver us, God deliver us. And God said, I've heard your cry and I'm going to deliver you. So there was this guy by the name of Moses who was in the wilderness for about 40 years. And in the wilderness, he basically had settled himself and he was enjoying his life as a shepherd because remember, his past was that he murdered somebody in Egypt and he didn't want to go back there. So he was just content to stay where he was. God appeared to him. And as he appeared to him, he said, Moses, you are the one I've chosen to be the deliverer of my people. Essentially, I've made you for a special purpose and I'm going to send you back to the people so that they can be delivered. And Moses kind of tongue-tied and twisted and said, but, but who, am I to, who am I to speak for you? I, I, I'm not a man of good speech. I, I don't have the skills. I don't have the gifts. And God goes, wait a minute, time out. Yo, hold on. I'm sending you. I've made you. Now go. And then he asks the question of God. He says, okay, God, when they ask me, who is it that sent you? God, who do I tell them? What is your name? So Moses asked God, what's your name? And here was God's reply. Ready? He said, tell them, I am who I am sent you. I am who I am. And then a few verses later, he says, all generations from this moment on will know me by my name. My name is I am. Now fast forward to Jesus. All generations will know me by my name, I am. Jesus is now in public ministry. He's now on his way towards the last several days of his life, which lead to the cross, which lead to the tomb, which leads to the resurrection, right? And he begins to start teaching and revealing who he is, and he says it this way. He says, do you want to know who I am? I am the bread of life. The bread of life, I am, I am. And everybody there would have understood that he was saying, he is claiming to be God. Equal with God. But you want to know why follow Jesus? 
You want to know why his divinity matters? Here's the first reason. Have you ever had a promise from anybody that says, look, I am the bread of life. If you believe in me, you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. You will always be satisfied. Do you know that hunger and thirst are our most basic, powerful needs? There are a few others, but for the main, for the, you know, hunger and thirst are the most... How many of you have ever been really thirsty? Anybody? Your, your, your tongue kind of swells, right? And it's like you're chewing cotton, right? You ever been in the hospital and they won't let you have anything to drink? It's even worse, right? Because you're like, I'm dying here, right? And, and it's this, this chalky stuff starts to appear, right? You ever been really hungry? You're so hungry that your stomach is like begging you to feed it? Most of us have not been that hungry, although we felt that hungry every first Monday of the month. I feel that hungry, right? But to be hungry and thirsty is a basic need. And here's Jesus' promise. If you believe in me, not just here, but if you follow me, you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. Now, this isn't speaking of necessarily a physical hunger and thirst. What he's saying as the bigger picture is, you will always find the greatest satisfaction in me. Now, folks, we don't really need anything else, do we? Do we really need anything else beyond Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. You'll always find satisfaction in me. Just follow me. Do we really need anything else? We really don't, do we? But Jesus gives us six more powerful statements. Here's the next one. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again. Remember the structure, I am, I am. He says, I am, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, darkness is one of those things that are... Uh, people have different levels of tolerance for darkness. Some people have zero tolerance. If you sleep with the nightlight, that's probably because you don't like the dark, right? It's probably because in the dark, bad things happen, right? You never see the boogeyman in the light. He's always hiding in the dark, right? You never walk into the bedroom and the boogeyman's on your bed going, Hey, I'm the boogeyman. No, he always hides in the closet, right? And he always comes out when it's dark. Why? Because darkness is where... Where, where, where bad things happen. It's, it's where, where you can hide, where you can surprise, where you can scare. Jesus' claim here is this. He's saying, I am the light of all lights. I am the light of the world. In fact, I am the light of life. And if you follow me, if you walk in me, you will never walk in darkness. What a promise. Do you know what happens in darkness? The, the number one thing that happens in darkness Fear. I would imagine if we were to interview each of you separately, if I asked you, what are you afraid of? The fear, in that fear, would be some sort of darkness somewhere. Darkness actually is a representation or a figure, if you will, of evil. We say light and dark, good and evil. Another thing that happens in the darkness, it's where the enemy likes to prowl. He likes to hide in the darkness to jump out and scare us. He likes to, he likes to roar. Here's another picture for you, okay? In the, the jungle, the lions sleep tonight. Sorry, I, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. In the jungle. Just sorry, I, man, I, bad boy, bad boy. So, 
<laughs> yeah, now we're going to wingo wap. Let's wingo wap together. Come on, let's do it. Wingo wap, wingo wap. Okay, I was so spiritual. I can't even done funny. So, in the jungle, the mighty jungle, <laughs> the lion has power. Most powerful animal in the jungle, right? And he has a, a domain. He has an area that he has claimed as his own. And his, his method of keeping it as his own is to prowl around at night and declare, this is mine. How does he do it? He roars. His roar is ferocious because it's meant to scare and to declare, this is mine. If you enter my territory, I'm going to kill you. The only way for him to lose his territory is for another younger lion to come in and challenge him, which they rarely will do that because of the roar. Now, here's the picture. The Bible tells us that your enemy, the devil, roams around like a what? Roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. His preferred method of operation in your life and in my life is to scare us in the dark. It's to scare us about the things we can't see. Think about this. The things that you fear the most are mostly, most likely the things you cannot see because they're in the dark, right? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with your job. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with your marriage. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with your kids. You fear the things that are yet to come or the things that are out of your control, things that you cannot see. Listen to the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever is in me will never walk in darkness. Never. That is a recognition of who He is. Interestingly enough, how do we know where to walk? How, 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 do, we, how do we find light? How do we find this light Jesus is talking about? Through what? It's found in Psalm, right? Psalm 119.11. What does it say? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or, or actually, I think I got that confused. Your word is a light into my, uh, lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? So you have a lamp unto my feet and you have a light unto my path. Here's the cool thing about this. This was played out for me a couple months ago in the mountains of Colorado. I was walking through this can't really describe it, but we had to walk a long way, and there were these these kind of canyons we had to walk through going to the place where we were going to wind up hunting. And as we walked, we walked in the middle of the dark. So it was about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And and a lot of the times, because of where the because of the, the overgrowth and because of the mountains, you couldn't see all the stars and the sun. It was they were all hit, or not sun, but the moon, they were all hidden. So the only light you had was the light of your flashlight. So as I was walking up this one particular morning, I remember shining the light and I remember saying, you know what, I can see here or I can see there or I can see there or I can see there. But I can't see everywhere at one time because it's dark out and all I have is this one light. So I said, I choose to light this right here because this is where I'm walking. And then I had this thought. But ugly things, dangerous things hide in the dark. What if while I'm walking, paying attention to my little light, a lion comes out and attacks me, right? We can go out. I mean, I'd be gone. Well, what if, what, if, what if a bear decides to bum rush me, right? I mean, it could happen. And I had this thought that God promises something to us. 
That he is our defender, he is our protector, he is our provider. And I had this overwhelming sense of peace because the passage that, that, that came to mind was this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And because his, because his word is a lamp and a light, I don't need to worry about the sides because I trust in who Jesus is. Now I want you to tie all of that together, okay? Jesus said he's the bread of life. If you trust in Him, you will not be hungry and you will not be thirsty. He will be your all-sufficient Savior and provider. Jesus said, I am the light of life. If you follow Him, you will never walk in darkness. You don't have to worry about what's to your side. You don't have to worry about the past. You don't have to worry about the future. All you got to do is just follow right where He's leading. Amen? Some of you, Somebody needs this today. Because you're so worried about what's going to happen next year that you're forgetting that that really is not as important as what's going to happen today and tomorrow. If you worry about today, don't even worry about it. Just trust God for the next step. He's going to lead you in the right step to get where you need to go tomorrow. Amen? You don't need to know God's will for your life. You just need to know God's will for today. We're so worried about so far out, but look, just do, just hear and obey God's voice today, right now. What's the next step? That's the next step. And then that's the next step. Because His light overtakes the darkness. Here's the third I am of Jesus. If you'll turn just a few pages over to chapter 10, John chapter 10. Y'all with me? John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus first said, I am the bread of life. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now Jesus says, I assure you, I am the door to the sheep. He's the bread, he's the light, and he's the door. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand this. Use a little preacher liberty, okay? A little license. What he is, is the bouncer. Or, shall we say, he's the bouncer, right? Like, put a little Arnold in there. I am the bouncer, right? So what does a bouncer do? See, in my college days... No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Just, just not true. Thank you. Um, a bouncer stands at the door, and he becomes the door. A bouncer says, you get to come in, you don't get to come in. By the way, if you come in and give me trouble, I'm going to beat you in the head and I'm going to throw you out. He's, the, he's the, the equalizer, right? He's the one who controls what's on the inside. Jesus says, I am the door. You might even have a version that says, I am the gate. It's the same thing. It's the, it's the, the opening to what's inside. Now, Jesus is using this picture of sheep to explain our need. You know, sheep are very... Uh, very tender animals. They're not very hardy at all. If you chase a sheep, he'll give you a really hard chase, but when you catch him, he's like, okay, I'm gone. I, I give, I give, time out, right? Now, I don't know if I told you this before, but I once decided to chase sheep because I wanted to experience what it meant to capture sheep. I happened to be in North Dakota, actually, and we were on a, uh, an Indian reservation, and this pastor that we were staying with had sheep that he needed to have sheared. So I'm thinking, cool, biblical picture all the way, right? I'm going to go catch a sheep, and I'm going to carry him like Jesus would have carried the sheep. 
over to the shearing spot and I'm going to shear the sheep and I'm going to re- recite scripture as the sheep is silent before the shears. So he did. I mean, Isaiah 53 was all over. I mean, it was just, it was a beautiful picture. And God was like, I'm about to show you some really neat stuff about life and about me. And, but I realized that the sheep are faster than me. And I'm like, I can't catch these sheep. They're too fast. Of course, they got four feet, I got two, so maybe that was part of it. And then I had the most brilliant idea ever. See, I looked in the corner, and on the porch of this place we were staying was a bicycle. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to outsmart these sheep. So I found a rope, <laughs> and I'm dead serious. I am not making any of this up. I found a rope, and I got the bike. And I, and I had in my, in my mind John Wayne. It was really more like Pee Wee Herman. I'm riding my bike with a rope chasing these sheep. Needless to say, I never did catch the sheep. The, only th- the, the way we caught the sheep was the, the guy that owned the sheep, the shepherd, came in and said, look, let me show you how to do it. He gathered the sheep and then we were able to shear the sheep. It was a wonderful experience. But what that taught me is this. The sheep were afraid. The sheep were scatterbrained. I mean, they were darting left and right into my time. I mean, it was, it was horrible. But when the sheep were caught, they just, uh, they're like a possum. Okay, I'm done. When Jesus was saying, I am the door, I am the gate, he was saying, look, my sheep need me to let them in. And to let them out. They need me to protect them. In fact, the next saying makes it even more clear. The very next saying in verse 11, Jesus said, I am the what? Good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man does not. Since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf comes and snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. Jesus is declaring that he is to us the good shepherd. He is declaring that he is the one who pursues us. He's the one that catches us. He is the one that shears us. And the thing about shepherds that we need to understand is this. Shepherds were not just doing it as a job. It was their life. If you're a farmer, you know this. You don't just farm part-time. It's a full-time gig. If you've got animals, especially if you have sheep, you are sleeping in the fields. You don't send them out and come back and sleep in your futon, right? You don't wake up in the morning, cook breakfast, and go out. No, you sleep with the sheep. In fact, you don't just sleep with them, but you go and you touch every single sheep. And you look at their head and you inspect their ears to see if there's mites in them. And you look at their legs to see if they're bruised or, or, or if they're scraped. And you, and you listen to them and based on how they sound, you know, in a sense, what they're feeling. And, and you know their personality. Some sheep are hard-headed and bull-headed. That would be some of y'all. Some of the sheep are timid and, and fearful. That would be some of y'all. I guess I should say us, right? Some, some of the sheep were just kind of like, they just did whatever every other sheep did. So Jesus knew. He's saying, look, I'm the good shepherd. Everything a shepherd does for a sheep, I do for you. As the good shepherd, he knows your personality. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows your tendencies. You will never, ever, ever surprise Jesus in any way, ever. 
Although we think that we do like, oh man, Jesus, I guess you didn't see that one coming. He goes, no, I saw it coming and I tried to warn you, but you just wouldn't listen because you're one of the hard-headed sheep. But here, let me, let me help you. An interesting fact about a shepherd too is sometimes a shepherd has to injure a sheep so that the sheep doesn't injure himself. There are times when a shepherd will have to injure a sheep's leg and then the shepherd will take and bandage the leg and put the sheep on his shoulders. And as he is shepherding the rest of the sheep, he holds that sheep on his shoulders until the sheep gets well. And when the sheep is well, guess what? There is a special, unique bond between the shepherd and the animal. This is what Jesus is saying, or who he is saying he is to you and to me. He's the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. Do you know that you... I can go out into a field right now of a bunch of sheep, and I can go, Come here, sheep! They're going to go, Bah! I can go, Here, sheepy, 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 sheepy! I can walk up to them. They're going to run away. Do you know why the guy was able to corral the sheep? He simply called them. Because they knew his voice. They will run from me, but they came to the one that they knew because they trusted him. Jesus said, I'm the bread. You'll never be hungry or thirsty again. I am the light. You will never walk in darkness again. I am the gate, the door, the bouncer. You have nothing to fear. I am the good shepherd. I provide, I protect, I discipline, I comfort, I heal. I do all of the things that a shepherd is supposed to do. Why? Because I love my sheep and I know you by name. There are some of you who don't think that God even sees you. But I assure you, God sees you. In fact, He sees the parts of you that you try to hide. And He knows the parts of you that you don't even know. The fifth saying of Jesus, chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to the woman, who was the woman? The woman was Martha. Interesting story here, because Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, he's sick. If you'll come, he can, you can heal him. Jesus got message that he was sick, and Jesus said to his disciples, uh, we're going to wait here. The disciples probably looked at each other and said, I'm a little confused. Aren't you the God who heals? And Jesus said, no, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wait here. And after four days of Lazarus being dead, Jesus wakes up and says, you know what, now we're going to go. The disciples were all concerned because they said, look, why didn't you go when he was alive? Why didn't you go when he needed you? He's now dead. What are you doing? I don't understand. Thomas even piped up and he goes, look, I guess we'll go die with you, right? I guess we'll go if you're going to go. So they march on down. You know how, long, you know how far of a, of, of a walk it was? You want to know the distance? All Jesus had to do was go two miles. Two miles. And he could have been at Lazarus' bedside before he died. Instead, he chose to stay before he went. Why? Because he needed to declare something to Lazarus, but also to Martha and Mary and to you and I. 
Because Lazarus was dead, Jesus got to declare the fifth I am. He stood before Martha and he said, Martha, I want to tell you who I am. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. Now, folks, you can wipe away the first four, and if all you have is this fifth one, that's enough. Amen? I'm the resurrection. I am the life. He just essentially wiped away the biggest fear in life, the fear of death. He just said, death has no hold on you because you will not die if you believe in me. You are eternal. And I guess in a sense, you are immortal. Not in this physical body though. The life that he promises is not just life here, but it's a life eternally. What is it that you have to fear? What, what, what could be in the darkness if Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Well, what could be out there that you would say, oh no, how can I go on? What news could you possibly get that would shake you to the core, that would cause you to say, I can't take another step? No, I'm not minimizing, I'm not minimizing bad news and I'm not minimizing suffering. I'm simply saying, in our own human view, we look at this and we say, I just can't do this. But in God's perspective, He says, you can do this because I've already done this. I've already given you a guarantee. You cannot die. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. And here's the sixth one. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He was declaring his exclusive rights to the Father. You cannot get to God through Buddha. You cannot get to God through Muhammad. You cannot get to God through Joseph Smith. You cannot get to God through any other faith. And that statement right there is a statement that automatically causes division and anger from people whom I hear it. Why? Because it's the audacity of saying that there is only one way to God. And that doesn't play well in our culture today, does it? That's very exclusive. But here's the thing. I'm not declaring to you what I think. I'm simply saying what Jesus said. And Jesus said, listen to it. He said, I'm the bread. I am the light of life. I am the gate, the door. Nobody comes in but through me. I am the good shepherd. They are my sheep. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus just declared six different ways the exclusivity of the gospel. Guys, that is so offensive, isn't it? But here's the thing. Just because something is offensive doesn't mean it's not true. Now, obviously, we don't try to offend people and we don't try to make people eared. But proclaiming just the truth of God's word, it bites in somebody's heart and in somebody's soul. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, John, verse 1. Jesus' final statement, his final I am. He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and, every, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. What he is saying is this. He's saying that as the vine, actually he's saying specifically this, I am, I am the vine, the true vine. If you are a branch off of me, you have life. If you're not a branch off of me, you don't have life. And if you are connected to me, if you are a branch off of me, you will bear much fruit. Okay. So we have seven statements of Jesus. These seven statements, each one of them is by itself enough to be a reason to follow Jesus, right? But you have seven very powerful reasons, very powerful statements of who Jesus is to you. And these statements answer the question, so what? In just a few weeks, we're celebrating Christmas, and we're going to celebrate the little baby boy, and we're going to put up a Christmas tree, and we're going we're to uh, unwrap presents, or we're going to sing songs, we're going to eat food. And for so many people in our culture, they're going to be the ones in the subway hearing the music in a corner and going about our everyday lives. I'm asking you to be the woman with the bag. I'm asking you to stop and listen. And and live in amazement at who God is. Encapsulated with that, I'm asking you to lay down your fears of the dark before Him. That's what you give to Him in His violin case. God, I give you my fear of this. God, I give you my control of this. God, I give you my doubt of this. God, I give you the ownership of this. He asks us to lay it down into his case and enjoy him. But do you know what's interesting about us as human beings? We hold things that, that are ours because we're like, you know what? I'm, I'm afraid that I might lose it. And God says, no, but, but I'm the bread of life. If you, if, you, if, you, if you partake of me, you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty. Yeah, but I have bread right here. Going all the, way, all the way back to the story, God says, look, take what you need in the morning, take what you need in the evening, because I will give you more tomorrow. But we go, yeah, but I got what I have right here. If I, if I let this go, I might not get any more. As if God has ever failed one time before in all of history. As if this time God's going to go, oops, I forgot. And we're afraid to let, you know what we're afraid to do? We're afraid to say to God, God, I surrender all. I have a friend who will never sing, he's a pastor, he won't sing that song at his church. Why? Here's his answer. I don't want to make, make people sing a lie. Because people will sit there and they'll sing, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus. You know what? Let's just sing it like it is. 
I surrender some. I surrender some. We're afraid to let go when God says, look, you're holding on to an inferior Jesus. You're holding on to inferior life. If you'll let go, you're free for all that God wants to do. All of it. So what is it you're holding on to? What is it? In just a moment, Kevin is on his way. I want to invite you to let go of whatever it is God has convicted, convicted you of this morning. We all hold on so tightly. But you know the really great thing about our God? You know, as a child runs to his father with open arms, the child's small, the child's weak, the child's inferior, and the child goes like this to grab hold of his daddy and it's his daddy's strength that really captures him or her. I remember when my little girls were little, they'd come and they'd reach up and I would, I would grab them. They thought they were holding on to me. They couldn't wrap their hands around. They couldn't wrap their arms around me. I was too big. They were too small. But I could wrap my arms around them. And let me tell you, nothing could pry you, could pry them away. Nothing. But you know, what, you know the thing in, that I hated more than anything else? I hated when I would go to hug my child, either my, my daughters or my son, and they were, and they were preoccupied with something. I mean, I, I still hugged them, and I still liked that a little. I, I liked it. But it wasn't nearly as sweet as when they put whatever they had down, and they reciprocated. You know what I'm talking about? It's not all mushy, touchy-feely stuff. I'm simply saying to you, as the Good Shepherd, He does have more life for us than we're willing sometimes to experience. And it's not about what you do. It's about what you simply yield. The more you yield to Him, the more He can be God, the bread, the light, the, uh, the door, the gate, the Good Shepherd, the uh, the way, the truth, and the life, right? I mean, the resurrection and the life. He'll be that. Let's pray together. Father, as we close our time together, my prayer is that you would so powerfully move in our hearts that you would give us a clear and overwhelming picture of who you are. God, may we run to you. May we drop what is in our hands and run to you. And let you be Jesus. God with us. The word become flesh in our life. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.